the universe can dream a bigger dream for you than you can even dream for yourself. Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. This is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint. Here are some more inspiring words from today's guest, Michael Pereira, Broadway in Paris. I think that we, the people of, of the world, because now we are citizens of the world, we're not just Americans and French and, and Brazilians, we are citizens of the world. I hope, it is my great hope and my great desire that we take our own power back. I feel that in so many ways that we have given our power away to, to them, they will take care of it. They're not taking care of it. And it's our job, the people, not the politicians, not the corporations, the people. And we have to come together, you know. This is, this is something I think is a big challenge in this totally interconnected world I find that we are more disconnected than ever. And we must come together in, in heart, in, in intention, in integrity, in morals, and help change this world because it is our job to do it. It's our job to do it. And to take responsibility for it because we can do it. That's what the universe put us here to do. You, me, and every single listener out there has the power to make a change, to choose something better, to help a friend, to not judge, to accept the differences. There is no difference between you and me, or a black person, or a white person, or a gay person, or a straight person, or an Israeli, or a French person. We are all the same person, and we must must remember that because this illusion, and it is truly an illusion of separation, is just keeping us in this constant state of anguish and fear. And if we can remove that illusion of separation and come together, only love exists. Everything else is, is an illusion. Former New York City Broadway performer Michael Pereira, now living in Paris, France, is opening up a new world for Parisian dancers. Michael's studio, Broadway in Paris, is bringing the magic of Broadway to the city of light, Paris. Michael shares his life story of positive imprints within his own life, as well as the positive imprints he leaves globally. The universe can dream a bigger dream for you than you can dream for yourself. That is what Your Positive Imprint is all about. It's a variety show filled with life stories, challenges, and inspiration with a goal to inspire you to identify and act upon your own positive imprints. What's your PI? Continue listening to this podcast from Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen from my website where you can sign up for podcast email updates, yourpositiveimprint.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Music by Chris Knoll, chrisknoll.com. You can check out his music from his website as well as Spotify. And now, Michael Pereira, Broadway in Paris.
Well, hello everybody. This is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint. My guest today, as he calls himself, the first Parisian here in for the show, he is Michael Pereira, who is an American dancer in Paris. And That's right. Yes, and we have been chatting. I've been learning quite a bit about you, but I've learned so much about your philosophy mm -hmm. uh, from Instagram, because mm -hmm. that is how you found me, right. uh, yeah. was through Instagram, and you are just filled with positivity, this great attitude. Well, thank you so much. Attitude in two ways, your dance attitude and then your mental attitude. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, but welcome, Michael, to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you, and you are enjoying your afternoon there in Paris. Yeah, yes. You are an American dancer in Paris. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's talk about your childhood, because you were talking about you're a first-generation American. Yeah, I am a first-generation American. My parents are both Portuguese immigrants. My mom came when she was 16 and my dad was 18 and they actually met in America. And, um, oh, wow. and there's wow. a kind of little community in Connecticut with uh, a big Portuguese contingent. And they met there and um, got married and, and had me. And uh, it was, I think it was, I think it was interesting. Now I look in retrospect, uh, in retrospect, of how I was raised by them, you know, I was raised kind of in the best of both worlds of this very European heritage, but with a real kind of American dream infused into it all. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm so honored and proud to have my parents because they truly lived the American dream. They moved to America not knowing a word of English, and created this incredible abundant life uh, for them and for me. And what did they do when they were here? So what did you see them doing? And, and to have the, the stamina of your positivity, you must have gotten that from your parents somehow. Well, I think, yeah, that's a good question. Well, I definitely was raised in a, a very religious home, uh, in a Roman Catholic home. But I saw um, both of their accounts, and actually the whole family, my grandparents also, I was lucky to know them, to have such a strong moral center, you know, of doing what is right, not what's always easy, but what's right. And I, I saw that from afar, and I saw that high integrity always paid off, and working hard always paid off. And supporting others, especially your loved ones and your family, always paid off, even if it wasn't easy, but it, it did pay off. And I, I do believe that was ingrained inside of me through them. Well, I believe that it is too as well, because everything that you post is a very dignified post. You never, ever put anybody down? Well, I think it's easy. You know, not only was I raised Catholic, but I had later in later in my life, in my early 20s, I became a student of a set of books called A Course in Miracles. 
And uh, Course in Miracles is not a religion. There is no dogma in it. It's just based on universal spiritual principles, uh, basically on um, changing our, our fear-based thought system to a loving-based thought system. That's really kind of the crux of it all, and through forgiveness. And I feel like that venting, that gossip part is so ego-driven. And not in that positive ego thing of like, oh, I'm, I'm a good person or I'm strong or I'm capable. It's that ego to me is that little tiny voice inside of all of us that says you're not enough. And it's, it's where our self-loathing comes from. And I think it's that ego that then projects our not enoughness out into the world and says, oh, see, it's that person. Oh, see, it's that person. It's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. And reality has nothing to do with that person. It's all our own lives, and we create our own lives. You know, I love listening to people like you and, and you who have this great background that I'm anxious to hear about because the joy of dance is certainly, you know, part of my life. Yeah, so wonderful. And you remind me when you when you do talk, the director of my dance studio is one of the most positive people in my mm. life as well. And that's how we met actually yeah. was you had listened to her talk about her joy of dance through her time with Carol Burnett show and uh, Who is an amazing person, yeah. Yes. So well, let's think, yeah, go ahead. I I think dance really lends itself to to that because first of all it's an incredibly disciplined and focused art form job uh, of sorts and we really must have to be to excel in dance to excel in singing to excel in acting and painting any of those things we really need kind of complete focus and concentration and if we allow those negative thoughts, those ego-driven thoughts, those fear-based thoughts into our mind, into our lives, then that pulls us out of that concentration to be as good as we want to be. Because in dance, we're striving, in many ways, we're striving for this ethereal perfection, you know, or we can say in spiritual terms as kind of enlightenment, and, you know, I believe that enlightenment is not a learning. It's an unlearning. It's an unlearning of the things that get in our way so we can really be pure and focused on what we want and deserve and desire in our lives. That brings us to your <laughs> desire yes. uh, in dance. When, at what age did you start dancing? When did your parents... I started kind of late in, in, in my life. I started at 16 years old. My sweet little parents, you know, as, as immigrants, like they lived in a village with like 100 people in Portugal, no running water, no electricity. And to come to the States and then have a child want to be an artist was so foreign to them. Oh. They they had no idea what that meant, what kind of life I could have. It, you know, they were about working, you know, working to be better because rightfully so. They came from nothing and that was their kind of survival mechanism. 
And fortunately for me, I did not have to have that survival mechanism. I was, of course, taken care of and fed and sheltered and clothed. And I started at 16, even though I have a funny little story about when I wanted to start dancing, I was about five years old. I was watching TV and some little, it was like a show like, oh, I don't know, the Oscars or the Tonys or something like that. And this person, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, dressed in a white, white suit, white hat, white, white tie, white gloves, white microphone, came out and had all these dancers dancing around them. And the announcer on television said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the star of stage and screen, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who it was. But my little five-year-old brain thought, oh, that's the name of that job, star. (laughs) (laughs) A fireman puts out fires. A person who sings and dances on television is a star. So at five years old, when people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say... I want to be a star. And my my mother, in a very kind of loving, non-harmful way, would say, no, 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 dear, you want to be a pediatrician. <laughs> and which I understand because that was, you know, education was held in such high esteem and that was in betterment, you know, especially to, to an immigrant. Anyway, I did not get to dance at that time. In high school... I uh, was corralled, I don't know how, into auditioning for the high school musical. Uh, At that time happened to be the show called Pippin. And I had no idea what it was about, but I went and I passed the audition and uh, I just kind of knew how to mimic what the choreographer said to do. Singing was a whole other story. I was really bad at it, but I've gotten better throughout the years. And then I was cast in the show and really enjoyed it. And then the following show, they did a a musical called The Music Man. And to my great, great surprise, I was cast as the lead dancer in the show. Oh, wow. I thought to myself, these people are crazy. They have, I have fooled them. I don't (laughs) like that. But I remember watching the movie, you know, the great movie with um, with Shirley Jones and Robert Preston and looking at this character of Tommy. And I thought, I cannot do that. There is no way I can do that. But somehow or another, through a gift of God or or ignorance, perhaps, I just did it. And during that show, uh, a gentleman saw me uh, in a performance and came up to me and asked me how long had I been dancing? And I said, never, I had never taken a class before and promptly invited me to join the New England Ballet School. And that's where I started. And then I was really deep, deep in every single day, hours and hours a day. And I realized, oh, this is what I want to do for a living. And my 16 year old brain said, I have to catch up. I have a lot of catching up to do. And I just kind of deep dived inside of it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so this person, this gentleman was your positive imprint for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. It was. It started with the directors uh, of of the the community theater and the high school theater. That you know, I I hold them in my heart forever. We're still very, very, very close friends. Um, their names are Gary and Fran Scarpa in Shelton, Connecticut. I find myself getting quite emotional about them uh, often because they saw within me something that I did not even see for myself. And I, I say to people, they turned my black and white life into technicolor. Oh, isn't that a great way to see it? So they were your, your true positive imprints there. Oh, they literally changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. When they cast you. Yeah, yeah. And had that confidence in you. Right, more so than I even had in myself. Yeah, wow, that's that's really an awesome, incredible story at the age of 16. Good grief. <laughs> I have to say I've been very blessed, uh, lots of synchronicities that I've had people like that in my life that have come along and have held a higher vision for me than I even had for my own self. And I'm incredibly grateful to them. Oh, sure. And what did your parents think when you decided to do this? Oh, they hated it. <laughs> <laughs> they hated it. And, right, and understandably so. They had these dreams of me being a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or an engineer, not, uh, not a gypsy, as we say in, in New York, you know, a, a dancing gypsy. And 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 I get it. They were worried about my my livelihood and, and my life because dance is such an ephemeral job, and performing arts runs solely on opinion. One person can think you're incredibly talented, and the next can think you're not. And uh, and I think they instinctively knew it could be a very challenging career. Do you still have your parents today? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And so now they're seeing the blossom and all of the seeds that you've planted. Yeah, they do. I think they're surprised at moments, you know, like I'll send them little videos or photographs of my classes and workshops or productions that I'm doing. And they're like, wow, a lot of people come to your class. And I'm like, <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> Have they ever been able to see you in a show outside of the United States? Outside of the United States, no, but they did see me in shows in, in the United States, yeah. You've now brought us to the New England School of Dance. Uh -huh. and how many years did you stay at that studio before you I, spread I your wings? I was there um, two years. And then, you know, I was, I guess I still am in many ways, just an incredibly kind of gregarious and bold personality. I remember about maybe about a year into my training, I thought to myself, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to take a class because I need to be there because that's where it's happening, right? So I promptly walk into Broadway Dance Center and I sign up for like the most advanced ballet class that there was. <laughs> nuts. I mean, I was just nuts, you know. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. Because I thought, well, I'm taking the advanced class in Connecticut. It's got to be the same in New York. Well, to my surprise, it was 1,000 times harder. But I just kind of trucked along. 
And this sweet, sweet ballet teacher who still exists, her name is Madame Darvash from Transylvania. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she asked me, darling, how long have you been studying the ballet? And I said, oh, about six, seven months. Said, oh, really? Uh-huh. She promptly took me by the hand, escorted me out of the class, took me to the front desk of Broadway Dance Center, and immediately demanded that I be put on full scholarship at the school. Oh, yes. my gosh. I'm really, I'm, I'm still quite grateful, of course, to her. And I pro started coming to the city every weekend, would spend the summers in the city. And then at 19, I moved to New York and, and, did, and did my training full time and always stayed quite loyal to, to Broadway Dance Center. I called it my home away from home. You know, I, I was born in Connecticut, but I grew up at Broadway Dance Center. Yes. Wow. And she just knew. For some reason, she saw boy, like if this is what he can do at six months, imagine if he really knew how to dance, you know, if he had some training. And she was going to be the one to train you at her studio. Yeah. That is, wow, yeah. Michael, that's just such an incredible story. And, and you who have, I mean, you do have this great talent. The pictures you have and the videos you post, they're incredible. I'd love to see you in a show. <laughs> That might come soon, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> now you've, you've spent some time there in, in New York. Mm -hmm. And I went to, a, I went to an, um, a musical theater academy there called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. At the time, it was a very, very small elite school. There was probably about 100 of us in that school up on the Upper West Side of um, Manhattan. Did it's a two-year program, but I finished the program in a in a year and three months because I did not take any breaks. I just wanted to keep going. And to my great great luck, um, I was immediately cast in the international tour of West Side Story, Jerome Robbins' West Side Story, and uh, toured the world for a couple of months with that with that beautiful show. My goodness! So then you did you take voice lessons? I did, yeah. I had, this is another reason why I was so, and still am, so grateful to, to Gary and Fran Scarpa. Uh, I tell this little joke, you know, in the, the show, Pippin, uh, that I first auditioned for, they said, okay, sing, sing this little phrase. We want to hear if you can sing. And, and the phrase is, we got magic to do just for you. And I was like, we got magic to <laughs> No, they're like we got magic to do. I was like we got magic, and they're like okay, just sing one note. And they're like do, and I was like do. They're like that's it, that's it, that's enough. <laughs> and they they're like that's enough. You know, I think boys were you know a, a hot commodity at that moment. They needed us, but you know I I remember so fondly in in rehearsals that. Gary and Fran never said to me, that's bad, or that's wrong, or that's not good. They would say, more energy, less energy, keep going, that's great. And I think because of their, again, it just really touches me, uh, their, their unconditional love and acceptance of me, they healed 
that part of me. They healed my voice in many, many ways. And because of them, that like connection of ear and heart and voice got to reconnect itself because of that unconditional, non-judgmental uh, vision of theirs. That is something that obviously brought you from, as you were saying in the beginning, your own depths yeah. of who am I and am I any good? Am I? Exactly. They never, they never put that in doubt with me. Uh, in other parts of my life that has happened, but with them, I always felt very safe and, and, uh, and protected and secured. You did this West Side Story. And then I'm, you know, I stayed in New York and I promptly um, started working with the, the absolutely marvelous and beautiful uh, dancer called Anne Ranking, who was Bob Fosse's muse. Through our time together, I helped, uh, I helped her in the creation of um, Bye Bye Birdie for television. Oh. <laughs> and also the phenomenon that exists right now called Chicago. I helped, I helped her with a little team of people in the choreographic creation of Chicago, which was an absolute thrill. It was Absolutely. Ab that is an amazing feat in yeah. itself. 23 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so you're pos so now you're receiving all of these positive imprints yeah. and now yeah. you're providing them and you're giving yeah. back. It feels mm, how do I say this? It feels necessary to me because I have been so blessed by people. I have learned so much through life and through others are not always positive experiences, you know. At um, at the tender age of 24, I had a full nervous breakdown because of the pressures of show business, and that's where I really kind of found my spiritual uh, path. In that moment, I uh, was in a very very dark place. Some little voice inside of me said, "There has to be a better way." And I went and looked for it and sought it out. And now that I have done all this work, I feel like it's my duty to share it. It's my duty to share it. I have no other way to say it. I feel like I must. What a great attitude and positive imprint that you are. Yeah, and, and when, you, when you talk about those dark places, a lot of times people don't come out of those dark places. Yeah. And you said it very plainly and very succinctly and strong, is that you had to seek out, you had to find. So mm -hmm. you had to do it yourself. You didn't yeah. depend on anybody and you didn't wait. I knew, I, I didn't know what, but I knew there was a better way. And I... What made you know that? I really don't know. I can say that on one side of my family, there is a history of, um, of depression, of a kind of a mental, mental health issues. And I remember looking outside of my, I lived on 10th Avenue in Manhattan between 47th and 48th Street, and I could see the Manhattan skyline. I had a dog at the time uh, who I call the greatest love of my life, uh, Miss Sally. And, and, and I also think Sally was sent to me from God, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, whoever you believe in. She was sent to me because 
she gave me a reason to get up and out of the house every day. I had to not focus on myself. I had to focus on this little being that needed me. But I remember looking outside my window and I could feel, I don't know if it's a sixth sense or I could psychic or I don't know what, a knowing uh, intuition, but I could feel this little kind of black cloud coming up behind me. And something inside of me said, you got to change and you got to change right now, because if not, you're going to be in trouble. I did not doubt that feeling at all. I went, I, I don't even know where I was, but somebody handed me this book that I happen to have here on my desk just by chance. And it's called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And somebody gave me this book and I read it. Let's see, I'm 46, so 24 years ago, uh, 25 years ago. And I remember weeping in, in reading this book. And I thought, okay, this is good. This, is, this sounds right. And somehow or another, she was giving a talk in New York City. Oh, my. And not, not so far from my house. So I walked my little self there and listened and wept the entire time. And I uh, said, okay, I need to get out of here. I need to find some peace. I, I called my parents and I said, is it possible for me to move home for about four months? I'm gonna sublet my apartment and I just need to relax. I need to get out of here because there's something going on here and I need to remove myself out of the situation and heal myself. I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. And they very lovingly said yes. And I continued to read uh, A Return to Love. And then the same director of mine, Gary Scarpa, I went to visit him one day. He lives only about a 10 minute drive from my parents' house. And he said, I just came from this amazing place called Kripalu, this like ashram in, in Massachusetts. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And <laughs> he was explaining to me like all the things that they were doing, like parent work and yoga and meditation and play and, and um, kind of like this like rebirth thing, like holotropic breath work. And this little voice in my head said, you need to do that. You need to do that. And I looked them up and they had like another program like in a month and I signed up blindly. I just blindly signed up. And uh, my spiritual path started there with, with Marianne and with Kripalu. Yeah. Well, good for you for finding your way out of the dark side. It was not easy at times. And it took, you know, people say it's work. And I can say, yeah, it is work. It's, it's a constant, constant work. You, but this is what I do tell people. Even if you're going one step forward and two steps back, you're still moving forward. You're still moving. You're not stuck. And it's important to keep going and keep reading and keep informing yourself and find new ways of thinking of things because if you do find yourself stuck, angry, um, resentful, depressed, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. 
there and and now at this time that we live in this age of information there's so much out there podcasts like your own books uh youtube uh audiobooks facebook instagram there's so many resources and i i urge people to to reach out and seek because I, it is my deep, deep belief that the universe wants you to live your very best life. It wants you to be the, the biggest, grandest, fullest version of yourself. And if you ask, I think the teacher will always arrive. Oh, aren't you inspirational? Thank you. I'm touched. I'm touched. I just think of myself so kind of normal. It feels so normal to me. Well, you've had these experiences and you're, you share them in a manner of, yes, inspiration and yes, positive imprints, but also I will lead you with my words. I will lead you with my experiences. And oh, that's, that's something that's needed worldwide. Yeah, it's true. I, I, I think, hmm, how do I phrase this? I think in many ways, people think, oh, it's just my little old life, you know? What do I have to share? And I believe that we all have something to share. Your experience is different from mine, mine is different from yours, and though we are not living the same life, we all have the same goal. And that goal is peace and love and contentment and fulfillment. So something that you have lived can so inspire me. And I hope vice versa, what I have done can inspire others. And that's why I came up with the tagline, what's your PI? You know, what's yeah. your positive imprint? Because I, I want people to find their own. You know, that's part of my mission is for people like you to inspire others to find and identify their own positive imprint because we do, everybody does have one. Some are deeper than others, but that doesn't make them better. It just they're means like you say, yeah. right, your experiences are different. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the same same journey, different steps. Yes. We're all going to the same destination. I like that same journey, different steps. Yeah. And so now you were able to figure out your life. Did you go back to New York? I did. I did. I went, I, I kept true to, to my little statement four months and I moved back to New York. It took me a while to kind of found, find my grounding again. I continued, um, doing kind of spiritual research, you know, investigation, and had moments of, of uh, great triumph and moments of not so great triumph. But I believe that all of that has informed me today. Even the things that caused my nervous breakdown, I can, can say within the deepest, deepest part of me, I am so grateful for them. Because without that, I would not be where I am. I would not have the compassion and the empathy and understanding that I do at this moment. But yes, I, I continued on uh, performing and auditioning. And uh, I did a production of Anything Goes. I did a, a funny, fun um, 
review on a riverboat in Mississippi, which was really fun. Wow, it was wild. Uh, <laughs> Natchez, Mississippi, you know. And and then for some reason, I uh, I was doing I was doing anything goes in Boca Raton, Florida, at the Royal Royal Palm Court Theater or something like that. I can't remember. And this little thought in my head said, "Oh, you should try real estate." <laughs> so random, right? So random. But I was like, "Yeah, let me let me check it out." And I promptly became a real estate broker in Manhattan and was selling multi-million dollar apartments in, in, in the city and did that and was wildly successful. You know, I had this, this naive idea that real estate was going to be a part-time job and that I was going to continue performing. But what I don't think a lot of people know is real estate is a full-time uh-huh. job like a 24 hour a day job. I loved the money that I was making. Let's just be clear, I loved making all (laughs) the money. But I found myself in a world uh, that I wasn't happy with, of a really deep materialistic world, even though it's fun and it's glamorous and selling $25 million apartments and working with stars and billionaires. I was like, "Mm, this is not it. This is not it for me. This woman came to our company. I worked at this uh, brokerage that still exists today, the Halstead Property Company, a very classy place. I really liked working there. And they invited this uh, time management coach to come in. And I happened to listen to her talk. And I thought, gosh, I really like this woman. I'm going to hire her to help me manage my time because I want more of it, you know, because it's this real estate is kind of eating me alive. So I hired her and, you know, she helped me with all that stuff. And then little by little, I started noticing like creeping in kind of spiritual words. And I was like, oh, I think she gets it. One day she said to me, what do you really want to do, Michael? And I said, I really want to sing and dance again. And she says, oh, Okay, I got an email the next day saying, this is your assignment. You must audition for this master class with Broadway legend Betty Buckley. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, there is no way on earth I am going to audition and sing for Betty Buckley. And she says, you must do it. It's your, it's your homework. And I was like, okay. So I did. I went and I sang. And promptly, immediately, they told me, if you want to be in the class, you're in the class. And I Yay. thought, I was like, wow, that's, wow, I'm, I'm really shocked, you know. And I studied with Betty. And if, if you guys don't know who she is, she is this legendary Broadway star. They call her the voice of Broadway she won a Tony Award for, for her portrayal of Grizabella in the original Cats. And much to my delight, she is and was and is still today a deeply, profoundly spiritual person and uses universal spiritual principles and meditation for her, her vehicle of teaching the, the art of singing and storytelling. 
And I was completely mesmerized by it and by her way of being and her talent and her love and her care. And in many ways, she took me underneath her wing. She would, she would drive me home uh, after class and we would have these lovely discussions. And, and she, I, I felt yet again, there was someone uh, close to me that had a higher vision for me than I even had for myself. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. And you have been blessed, but what's good is that you've recognized all of these great opportunities you oh. know, and have taken them and, and yes. So, and for listeners, I think Betty Buckley was also in the movie Frantic. That's right. With Harrison Ford. So did, did Betty push you to move, not to move, but to move forward in your life and head over yeah. to Paris and spread your wings? No, no, no. no. She, 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 she really encouraged me to come back into show business, and I did. And then eventually, I became a teacher in, in New York City. I was so, so fortunate to be chosen by um, this lovely woman named Pat Simon to be a dance professor at Marymount Manhattan College. And I, she was such a champion of mine. I loved, I really fell in love with teaching at that time. I had taught here and there, but to see the same group of kids every day, five days a week for a whole year and see them grow was really quite motivating to me. And in, it inspired me to be a better person. And I, and I started noticing that I would infuse my lessons with these uh, spiritual, with spiritual knowledge, you know, of believing in yourself and, and uh, holding a high vision of yourself and doing your best and giving your best, not playing small things that I learned through my journey and infusing them in my lessons uh, I thought, oh, there's something here. And how it, I got to Paris was uh, I had visited Paris nine years ago, nine, ten years ago. I had not been to Paris since uh, my early 20s. But this revisiting at about 35, I fell in love with the city. I, I found the energy really marvelous and the air kind of crackled and I don't know. There was just, mm, there was just, as the French say, a little savoir-faire. There was just a little something here. I am a meditator, and one day I was in a meditation here in Paris. This little tiny voice came up to me and said, "Don't leave, stay." Oh. And I was like, "What?" I was like, "That, <laughs> that is so weird." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." And. Uh, about a year or so after that, I enrolled in um, a Vipassana retreat, a Vipassana meditation. For your listeners that don't know what that is, that is a form of Buddhist meditation, and it is a 10-day silent meditation retreat. There's no reading, no writing, no exercise, no eye contact with anyone for 10 days, and you are in complete silence. And 10 hours a day is spent in meditation. Anyhow, which is quite challenging at times. About day seven, <laughs> I remember I got to a point for the first time in my life that I had no thoughts, like blank. 
and it scared me actually. Like when it happened, I was like, oh, I don't have any thoughts. Um, but I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I kind of got myself back there. And later that afternoon, I posed myself the question, why am I so obsessed with Paris? And this knowing, this voice came back to me and said, you must be there because there's something you can learn there that you cannot learn anywhere else in the world. And I thought, oh my God, what is that? But it wasn't clear, but it was just something you could only learn in that city. So I found myself about two years later, free for the summer as I was a professor and, and uh, was kind of transitioning out of a, an apartment and a relationship in, in, in New York. And I said, I'm going to go to Paris for three months. I'm going to see what this is all about. Because visiting is very different than living. So I found an apartment and I moved to Paris. And the first month I just kind of wandered about. You know, I would just point at a place on the map and say, let me go there and let's see what's happening over there. And about a month into my visit, I um, ran into my lovely landlord uh, and he asked me, how, how are things? Are you comfortable? Do you need anything? And by the way, these, these lovely, these landlords, um, there are a couple that have been together for 30 years, these two gentlemen. They picked me up at the airport. When I arrived, they had dinner for me because they're like, we know Aww. you. So sweet. You know, I'm, I, I love them very much. And he said to me after I said I, I felt really at home uh, here, and he said, well, listen, the apartment is yours for as long as you wish. Ooh. For, for 10 years, 20 years, we love having you here. And I thought to myself, listen, Michael, if there are signs from the universe. <laughs> That's and, one. And in that moment, without anything, without a job, without basic knowledge of French, with probably $3,000 in my pocket, I left. I moved to Paris. Wow, yay! And that's where, where another huge chapter. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I think that Paris, Paris has been such a great teacher to me. It forced me to become bolder than I ever had been. And to open my mind, because I was mm, 41 when I moved. Yeah, I'm 46 now. Yeah, so 41. And at that age, not that it's old, but at that age, to learn a new language, to learn a new way of being, really pushed me. I had to kind of open my brain in another way and focus all the time and be like, oh, I recognize that word. I recognize that word. I think this is what they're saying. How do I get here? How do I get there? How do I make a living? It, it really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. And also uh, a great gift of moving to a place like this is that nobody had any preconceived notions of who or what I was or did. So it, it just kind of left this big blank space for me to create whatever I wanted. And that's kind of what I did. You know, I, I taught English to kind of make money at first and uh, started teaching here in Paris, dance. And that grew quite quickly. And um, even though that was a really funny, funny story, 
I came so arrogantly to to teach here, and I thought, oh, I danced on Broadway, I did <laughs> stuff. My classes are going to be packed. And <laughs> the first week, not a soul came to my class. <laughs> Devastated, I was like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And I, uh, which I haven't shared with you. This, uh, as I shared before, this um, book that kind of opened this spiritual path to me, A Return to Love, written by the incredible and incomparable Marianne Williamson. I love her so much, and she inspires me so much. I mean, she is a fierce, fierce force of nature in this world. And at that moment where I didn't have anybody in class, I called her and I said, Mary Ann, what am I going to do? I need to like make a living. And she says, listen to me. You're going to teach each class like there's 100 people in that class. You're going to give them everything that you have. And trust me, it will change. And that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what happened. I own the trademark. I have a, a trademark, a copyright on Broadway in Paris. I love the name. Broadway in Paris. So. I'm teaching Broadway in Paris, and that's how that's really how it happened. And you do you do the you teach Broadway jazz and and of Broadway course ballet and tap and singing. And I had the first uh, American Musical Theater Academy in all of France. I owned that for two years, and now I am producing, directing, and choreographing the first French version of Drumroll, everybody. Pippin, the first. Wow, so this is just one big, huge circle. It's it's exactly what it is. It's a circle of life. I couldn't believe 16 year old Michael could never have imagined in a million years that he would be in Paris directing and choreographing the first show he ever did with its original creator. I mean, that blew my mind. That's, like I say, that's such a circle of life. And it just goes to show you that we don't know what's in store for us. We just have to keep working towards it. We're clueless. Yeah. This is another thing. The universe can dream a bigger dream for you than you can even dream for yourself. This is the God honest truth. As I said, I never, ever imagined that this would happen. And I know for sure now because of all the things that I lived through, good and bad, painful and joyful, they came, this moment came into being because I lived through that. Listen, I'm not perfect, I am no enlightened being, I'm far from it, but I, I did my very best and worked really hard to always see the positive side of it, to see what is this here to teach me How can I grow from this, even when it was tough, even when I had, uh, this is not an exaggeration, 47 cents in my bank account, you know, what is this here to teach me? And I would just kind of throw my arms up and say, please show me the way, and God, I need a miracle. Well, you said earlier, high integrity pays off, and that is you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That I'm, is you. That. Thank you so much. With all of the steps that you do, I just mm-hmm. are there any that, that you say are the most challenging for you? Dance steps. Dance steps. Ooh. 
Um, gosh, uh, you know, that's changed through the years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so at, at this time in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's changed through, my, through the years. I would say uh, at this moment, I do feel like I'm losing a little bit of flexibility. The hardest things, so my flexibility I can feel is diminuing uh, just a little bit. Yeah, so the big pyrotechnical things is has always been very challenging for me. Even though my heart calls to them like, oh, I wanna do that. I know, you know, I think that time has passed at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm okay with, I'm totally okay with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've added hip-hop to my dance oh, repertoire. Oh, oh. And, yeah. uh, it's, you know, after doing traditional dance all these yeah. years, hip-hop is hard. I am so envious of, of hip-hoppers. Very, very brave. Yeah. Uh, I find now that I get a little panicky. I don't know mm -hmm. why. Uh, I never got panicky before. But I do feel a little panicky at times, not in my jazz class, but when I take ballet, I, there's a little, a little thing of panic, like, oh, am I going to fall? It's like, who cares? Like, who really <laughs> cares if you fall, you know? But it's, um, I think it's that dancer mentality that's seeking for perfection, uh, that's seeking for that beauty that uh, gets in our, in our way sometimes. I think the balance sometimes can change a little bit, and, and I'm, I'm at this moment finding a new sense of balance. Well, this has just been so inspiring, so exciting to finally chat with you. I, I, it's just a world of, of fabulous, fabulous people, and your PI is, is very much needed in, in our world, and I'm glad you're, you're sharing it. And so I was going to ask if you have any final words of of inspiration, but I think you've said such <laughs> such great words, such great words. I would like to add, you know, I believe that we, as I was saying just before about coming together in love and morality, it is really, I believe our, uh, the United States in particular, but again, not only, has kind of lost its moral center center of, of itself and because we've lost that moral center it has allowed the space in the room for these entities to come into being it has allowed the, the system has allowed these people to come in it's not their fault it's our fault and we must take that power back as i was saying and say okay you know this is not allowed anymore. We are going to do what is right, not what's easy. We need to do what's right. We cannot allow people to be homeless. We can't allow uh, 14,000 children every day to go hungry. We can't allow uh, racism to exist. We, we have to say, not on my watch, not on my watch. And that is the only way that we're gonna change. If not, I'll just stay the same. Michael Pereira, you are so incredible, and I thank you so very much. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I can't wait to meet you someday, and... and Paris, Broadway, yeah. 
friends come and see us. Yes, and and do a couple steps with you. That would be just so much fun. The change never hurt anybody. Yeah, I really have enjoyed this, and I've enjoyed your philosophies and your background in dance. And and Michael, you're amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. I so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for sharing here on your positive imprint. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. Learn more about Michael Pereira at allaboutmichael.com, Facebook and Instagram, Broadway in Paris. If you're in Paris, then I know you will find joy in dance. Thanks for listening to Your Positive Imprint. Download my episodes and follow this podcast by hitting that subscribe or follow button now. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?